0: This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity.
1: Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for episode 72 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Researchers from Recorded Future's InSict group have previously analyzed both the U.S. and Chinese national vulnerability databases, examining the speed of publication of cybersecurity threats and how each respective country considers their NVD in the broader context of the national mission of cyber defense and operations. Recorded Future's team recently set their investigative sites on Russia's vulnerability database to see how it compares. Priscilla Moriucci is Director of Strategic Threat Development at Recorded Future, and she joins us to share what they found. Stay with us.
0: Done a bunch of research this year on and last year on various countries' uh, national vulnerability databases. So particularly the U.S. and China's, and we sort of realized, you know, over the course of the last year, um, that there are a lot of things that you can learn about, um, not just uh, you know vulnerabilities and and how fast you know countries publish, but but about you know, kind of the countries themselves, how they approach, you know, information security um, and from like an intelligence, you know, a threat intel perspective, um, you know, we found there was some valuable data for kind of uh, anticipating and maybe even, you know, preventing uh, cyber intrusion. So we decided to kind of apply that same technique to Russia's National Vulnerability Database, um, which is run... Uh, broadly by its its military. A completely different setup, I guess. I don't even know if I would call it a database broadly um, because it's so incomplete. But it's really a different setup than either U.S.'s, NVD, or China's. Um, and so we just kind of dug into using kind of the same techniques, right? Uh, how they publish, when they publish, um, and all kinds of stuff like that.
1: So before we dig into how Russia does what they do, can you give us a, a little brief overview of How does the U.S. and how does China handle theirs and and sort of the parts it plays in in their overall uh, attitude towards defense?
0: So the U.S.'s National Vulnerability Database, or NVD, was the first one to be stood up. Uh, The U.S. NVD is run by um, NIST, or the National Institute of Standards and Technologies. Uh, It's a part of um, DHS and Department of Commerce kind of jointly. It's run mainly as a transparency function, right? So that, you know, general consumers and businesses in the U.S. and across the world um, have a centralized repository for looking at vulnerabilities on their computers, right? And responding to them, installing the patches and kind of upgrading their information security. So, you know, for most of the IT world, right, the U.S. NVD has the gold standard, right, in terms of. The content it publishes, um, the type of vulnerabilities it addresses, and the comprehension of its database. Um, The other one we've taken a a look at is China's National Vulnerability Database, or CNNVD. This one is different from the U.S.'s NVD in that it's run by their their sort of equivalent of the CIA, which is the Ministry of State Security. Uh, It's run by an intelligence service. Um, China's vulnerability database is very fast in publishing vulnerabilities broadly. It's it's faster than the United States. It includes some vulnerabilities that the United States database does not. But broadly, uh, China's database is used by its intelligence services um, to look for vulnerabilities that the intelligence services could be using in their own cyber operations. So it or China has done quite a poor job of balancing the, the kind of transparency mission, the public service mission of a vulnerability database with the intelligence mission right, of, of the organization who runs it. So it's, it's quite a different application, right, of vulnerability management than the United States database.
1: And these databases are are widely available to anyone. You don't have to be a, a resident of a particular country to be able to to see what's in them.
0: No, no. Uh, they're available to everyone. It's just a language barrier issue for most people. Hmm. U.S. database is in English, China's is in Chinese, and Russia's is in Russian.
1: All right. Well, take us through uh, the background. Uh, what what happened when Russia decided to spin up their own here?
0: Yeah. So um, Russia decided to start their own vulnerability database in 2014. So that was about 14 years later than <laughs> the United States. Hmm. Um, and at that point, you know, there's 14 years of vulnerabilities, right, for them to catch up on. Um, their database uh, is sort of broadly known as as the BDU. It's not a great English translation for it, so just call it the BDU. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in 2014, you know, they started reporting vulnerabilities. You know, there were about a thousand reported that year. And then they really ramped up publication in 2015. And then after that, You know, publication went down again in 2016, 17 and 18, you know, to much smaller, maybe uh, two to three thousand vulnerability per year. So on average, you see, even though Russia started their vulnerability database quite a deal later than the United States, they broadly only report about 10 percent of vulnerabilities that are identified right globally. Um, they only published ten percent. Their vulnerability database, like I sort of mentioned before, is is run by the Russian military by an organization there called Federal Service for Technical and Export Control, or FS Tech, um, as we kind of refer to it. And so that the mission of that organization um, is not like uh, U.S. NIST; um, it's a military-run organization. Its mission is to um, protect the information systems of Russia's government uh, and sort of critical infrastructure. So with Russia, you know, our, our research sort of dives into the fact that they, they don't even kind of pretend to have a public service mission, right? Like um, that China does, They're, they really, they publish um, only vulnerabilities that are used on Russian information systems or in Russian critical infrastructure. Um, and that they are, you know, concerned about protecting. So that's a real contrast to both how the U.S. approaches vulnerability management and to how China approaches it as well.
1: Now, does the, is the Russian database, uh, does it end up being a subset of the U.S. database? I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that they, you know, they didn't start out by just sort of vacuuming up our database and using that as a starting point.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting study because they could have very well done that, because like you said, uh, especially the U.S. vulnerability database, you know, it's open to everyone. Um, You can harvest the information from it. Right. So they could have started out with, you know, I think at that point in 2014, U.S. had somewhere around 80,000 vulnerabilities. Right. So they could have started out from that point. Russia's vulnerability database also is really slow. So on average, you know, the delay between the time that Rush, that a uh, vulnerability is, is revealed, right? And by the time it's published in the Russian database, even though they only published 10% of all vulnerabilities, is 95 days. So it's over three months, um, which is really substantial. It, it it doesn't make a lot of sense for anyone to really rely on, on that database. Broadly, too, if you look at kind of the technologies, right, that they focus on, on what we would call over-covering, right? So there are a number of technologies that they cover substantially more than 10% of the vulnerabilities for. Um, And these include, you know, kind of widely used software and hardware technologies and vendors, right? Adobe, Linux, Microsoft, Apple, Mozilla, Google, you know, those type of things. So, you know, from our perspective, because of Russia's overt mission, right, that this database is explicitly for protecting Russian information systems, you can really learn more about, what Russia has and what Russia runs, right, on their own kind of state information systems, then really about what Russia is seeking to target, right, for cyber operations abroad.
1: So this is this is more uh, more inward facing, more of, a, uh, I guess, to people within the organization to to point out, hey, these are the things that that uh, deserve your attention.
0: Yes. So I think the other thing that that we've learned is there's a there's a couple of missions for. FS Tech, right? This sort of parent organization to the, the vulnerability database. First is, is publication of these vulnerabilities and providing what we would call like a baseline for Russian information systems. You know, they all must have patched and all of these vulnerabilities, right? And that the vulnerabilities in the BDU form that baseline, right? So there's a sort of a standard baseline across Russian government information systems. Here is what it is. It's in the BDU, right? Find it and do it. The second part of this, though, is that the the larger mission of FS Tech is to do what's called these um, reviews of technology or technology licensing, and this is a sort of a, a technique that's used to a certain extent by China as well, in which the government, the Russia or China government, has mandated technology and product reviews of uh, particularly foreign information technology that want that companies would like to sell in their domestic marketplaces. And in this case, the government FS Tech requires that people or companies get a license, right? And in order to get that license, they have to subject their software or hardware to these um, technology reviews that are conducted by FSTech the reviews, you know, in many cases require uh, source code review, right, by, us, by members of Russia's military, which FSTech is. Um, and then they'll kind of hand out a license for a company to be able to sell in, in Russia. Um, so the BDU is also a, a baseline of security for these uh, technology licensing reviews, but it also provides kind of a, a legitimate cover right, for the Russian military to to point to and say, look, we also run this vulnerability disclosure program, right, we need to discover any vulnerabilities there are on your software to keep our own, right, country's information technology secure. So in that sense, you know, there's a, it's not just a, maybe an ineptitude, right, that Russia covers only 10% of vulnerabilities, or it's not just their are concerned only about Russian information systems, right, which they primarily are. But it's also a function of this this technology review program and providing this kind of legitimate cover, right, to point Western companies to in order to say, you know, here's what we require, right, this is the technological security baseline for you, look at our database, right, we are a legitimate, right, public service organization as well.
1: Now, one of the things that you look at in your research here is, is you sort of contrast the database against uh, known Russian APTs. Can you take us through what did you learn there?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this was really interesting, I think. So what we did is, is we tried to apply against one of the same techniques we used with the U.S. and Chinese research, which was to identify um, vulnerabilities exploited by each country's sort of APTs or threat groups, Um, And to determine how many of those were reported by each country's vulnerability database and try to um, figure out what that means. So for China, for example, right, um, very few of their vulnerabilities were reported in a timely manner by CNNBD. And during that sort of publication lag, right, we discovered in a number of cases that there were Chinese APTs actually exploiting those vulnerabilities um, in their own operations. For Russia, interestingly enough, it was the complete opposite. So in this case, we identified 49 vulnerabilities that Russian threat groups were actively exploiting. And among those 49, 30 or 61% were actually published um, in the BDU. Um, so that's substantially higher, you know, than China, right? Um, and among those, so among those 30 that were published. You know, well over half were APT twenty eight, which is attributed to Russia's main intelligence directorate or the GRU were published in the BDU. So that's a that's a substantial amount. And it, it amounts to FSTech publishing sixty percent of vulnerabilities being actively exploited by the Russian military. So in in this case, we think that there are two fundamental reasons for that. First, um could be that since FSTEX mission is to protect Russian government information systems, that the Russian government systems also utilize these programs, right, because they're very widely used software and hardware um, vulnerabilities. So the same vulnerabilities, right, that Russian EPTs are exploiting um, are also being, you know, are also resident on Russian information systems, and they're using the BDU to kind of patch them and clean them up. The second is that, um, which I think is also likely that military intelligence services are obligated to protect russian information systems with the knowledge that they possess on vulnerabilities and sort of in addition to their offensive right cyber operations so they have sort of a dual mandate right in this case our assessment is right that the gru for example has this dual mandate one obviously to use cyber operations to conduct um, intelligence operations and collect information on foreign intelligence targets abroad. And second, but second is this um, information security and defense mission, in which they're also obligated to use the information and the knowledge that they have about offensive operations to protect the Russian government information systems hmm. um, as well. So I think that's sort of the, that's mo- the most likely scenario that we see, is that the what you can learn from the bdu database right is that one you know what kind of information systems and technologies are in russian government but two that the gru also has these sort of balancing mandates right protecting russian state and offensive cyber operations
1: right sort of saying to everybody hey you know this is this is where we've uh, placed the virtual landmines so heads up
0: <laughs> yeah, kind of. And that's not entirely unusual. So U.S., you know, many U.S. intelligence agencies also have those dual mandates, right? Mm. A part of them conduct, you know, uh, foreign intelligence operations right overseas and the other side conduct, you know, the defensive mission. Um, so it wouldn't be unusual for an intelligence service to have the to balance those two kind of dueling mandates.
1: Now you you sort of wrap up your research here uh saying asking the question why does fs tech publish so few vulnerabilities and you walk through some some likely hypotheses can you take us through those
0: Sure um so I mean broadly right we struggled for a long time with um why put the effort in right to report so few vulnerabilities um and you know our broad survey of you know we were we were just kind of both searching the internet and also talking to some of the contacts that we knew in, you know, information security and and corporate world, nobody utilizes the BDU. It's not a source, a primary source for any company or any person or organization. And so we just kind of struggled with why does Russia even devote the resources to publishing this, you know, meager amount, this 10% that they do. Uh, so, So we came up with three hypotheses and we kind of scratched off two. So, our first one was that you know just f s tech is just vastly under resourced, right? And it only has the ability to focus on very key technologies that Russian users utilize. so that was the sort of hypothesis there is this they're all under under resourced and overworked, and they can't possibly do everything. Um We ended crossing that one off the list because um you know its own documents say that f s tech has over eleven hundred employees. Um, and that most of those employees are responsible for this technology review and vulnerability information security mandate, right? Um, that's more than NIST, which runs USNVD, currently has. That was a hypothesis we crossed off quite quickly because it was clear that Tech was not sort of under-resourced. The sort of second hypothesis we tackled was that um, FSTech has these sort of Dual offensive and security missions, um, and that it publishes sort of similarly to China's NVD. Right, that it has to balance you know, the demands of offense um, against the demands of, you know, defense. Um, but in all the documentation that we review, we really found that FS Tech doesn't have an offensive cyber mission. Um, it's really focused almost solely on on defense. Um, And that the technology reviews and stuff are are mainly to secure, right, Russian government information systems and to gain insight into these uh, foreign technologies, um, not for offensive cyber mission operations. So that, that kind of left us with our last hypothesis that was the most well supported. And that is just that FSTech is a military organization right, it's publishing just enough content in the BDU to be credible as a national vulnerability database, that FSTech has really just a, a defensive mission. They're just trying to protect Russian government information systems. And that part of that, you know, is to provide this baseline uh, for the information systems vulnerability management. Um, And that the larger part of this their database is simply to provide this this cover, right, for their foreign uh, technology inspections and their code reviews of, of foreign software. So unlike China's National Vulnerability Database, for example, Russia does not, it doesn't seem, um, delay publication of a vulnerability so that the military can utilize it in offensive cyber operations before they publish it. We just saw no evidence to support that.
1: Hmm, that's interesting, and, and and well, and I guess that ties into how long it takes them to publish anything.
0: Right, <laughs> they take a long time <laughs> to publish anything. Um, and you know, if anything, the, the the data actually points to the fact that um, Russia Russia's APT groups are actually utilizing vulnerabilities that are published in the BDU, not vulnerabilities that are not published in the BDU.
1: Now, do, do any vulnerabilities show up in their database that that don't show up in the other two—the U.S. and China's?
0: Russia has a slightly different system that's not completely analogous to like the CVE numbers, right? Used by U.S. and China, they report things by uh, vulnerability, for example, and, and they have a different numbering scheme. So it's not comp- entire like a hundred percent analogous, but broadly, I, I think there are almost no vulnerabilities in the BDU that are not in the US and BD.
1: So what are the overall take homes here for you? What, uh, what do you walk away with in terms of, uh, you know, being informed about how the Russians are approaching this sort of thing?
0: So I think if, if you talk about like, why should anyone kind of follow the BDU or, or, or what are we learning here? There are a few takeaways. So one, um, from an intelligence perspective, right? Uh, if if you as a, a person or a company or a professional are interested in what Russia is running on their own government information systems, right, then following the BDU gives you great insight into that. Two, um, there's a possibility that the overreported technologies, right or the overreported vendors, the technologies that Russia reports more than ten substantially more than ten percent of, right, could also be, the vulnerabilities that are exploited by Russian APTs, right, specifically the GRU and APT28, right? Because in that case, the data showed that over 60% of the vulnerabilities used by APT28 were being reported in the BDU. So, um, you know, we don't have a direct link that that confirms that. I think it's a, it's a moderate confidence possibility, and it's something for defenders, you know, to be utilizing as a source of information anyway. And third, that... You know, Russia, military intelligence also have, you know, kind of these same obligations in which they have the obligation to conduct offensive cyber operations for intelligence collection. But also they they're obligated to use their own um, cyber knowledge to protect Russia's state information systems as well. And then third, you know, or lastly, I guess um, that, you know, this database right is being used as, as a cover for foreign technology reviews. And as, you know, companies were trying seeking to sell software in Russia, you should be under no illusions of who you are dealing with. Right. The FSTEC is the Russian military period and the Russian military serves the interests of the Russian state. Right. And of Russia, national security more broadly and subjecting your technologies to inspection by this organization you know, yields a number of of secondary and, and tertiary risks to both your technology and to the potential customers and users globally, right? So that's another kind of point that we want to foot stomp, that you know, these technology inspections, right? That FSTech is broadly being used to legitimize are still run by the Russian military, right? And they're not the sort of benevolent inspections in which an entity is looking for vulnerabilities in their code, right? Um, You know, they're requiring these inspections to get more information on these technology companies to support um, and protect Russia's own government and information systems.
1: Our thanks to Priscilla Moriucci for joining us. You can read the research that she co-wrote with Dr. Bill Ladd, also from Recorded Future. It's titled Pavlov's Digital House, Russia Focuses Inward for Vulnerability Analysis.